Welcome to Advantage. I'm your host, David Young, and it is great to be back doing a new podcast. It's been a really busy summer for me. I'm sure yours has been as well. I hope you've been able to rest, recharge, spend time with family, maybe vacation, uh, and then get back into the swing of things and be ready to go in this new year. So today begins season two of Advantage. We have several great guests lined up and a variety of issues and topics that we're going to get into during the next several weeks. A theme that I think you'll start to see throughout the season is a focus on some of the best return on investment strategies, structures, and approaches to doing different things in our schools and districts. We're going to talk about the best return on investment strategies for things like core curriculum and instruction, special education, academics and compliance. Uh, We'll talk about supporting students' academic needs, but also supporting students' social, mental, and emotional health needs, and lots of other topics. We'll even have an episode on what the future of education might look like, and I'm really looking forward to that. And as always, we'll try to keep the content as practical and immediately usable as possible. So, I appreciate you joining today, and I'm really excited to get Season 2 started. So that brings us to today's guest and today's topic. My guest today is my good friend, David Morris. David and I have worked together for many years now. Uh, We were in the Boyle County Schools together, and now we work together at the Central Kentucky Educational Cooperative, where David is the Associate Director. Now, like a lot of small school districts or small organizations, David wears many hats, but his specialty is school and district finance, and that's the topic we're going to dive into today. The best return on investment strategies and structures that you can use to keep your school and district healthy financially. Now, before he got into education, David has a background in business. Uh, He then went on to be a high school business teacher an assistant principal, a principal, and then the chief financial officer in Boyle County Schools before he came to CKEC as the associate director. So with that, David Morris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it. So David, I've I've given our listeners a little bit of background uh, on you. Is there anything else that you can share? It could be personal or professional uh, to kind of let them know a little bit more about you. Well, yeah, I think uh, my journey's been quite unique in Uh that uh, I started off uh, working for Sherman Williams. I was in private business. Um, I did that for a while before I got into the education field. Uh, Once I started the education field, I was a teacher at Boyle County, a teacher at Paul Orange Dunbar in uh, Fayette County before becoming a principal in Bourbon County and Mercer County and in Lincoln County. Mm. Uh, After that, uh, I became CFO at, uh, at Boyle County Schools before coming to um, before coming to CKC, I think a lot of that background in private business uh, was really informative. It kind of sh- kind of shaped me for how I would uh, not only teach but also how I would be an administrator. Good deal. And then you've got your uh, wife Michelle as a teacher, just like my wife Holly is in education as well. She is. She's a third grade teacher in Boyle County Schools. This is her nineteenth year. Thoroughly loves it. Um, she is uh, nationally board certified in reading and thoroughly enjoys uh, the elementary school um, uh, curriculum. Good deal. Well, uh, so let's jump in. Let me let me start with with this, and I'm about to say. Let me get your feedback on. Okay. 
So over the years, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing is working with a lot of aspiring principals and, uh, and new principals as well. When I'm working with them, one of the things that I often tell them is that uh, I can tell what their priorities are, what their goals are for their school by looking at their budget. So now given we know that, and this is a beautiful thing about, <coughs> excuse me, this is a beautiful thing about schools and districts. A lot of the things that you need to do in order to improve actually don't cost a lot of money. Uh, they're usually different mindsets or uh, different practices that you can put into place, maybe that require some training, but don't necessarily require a big investment. But that doesn't change the fact that as a, super, as a superintendent or as a principal, you do have different budgets. You have different amounts of money and you're going to spend them some way. And so I always say to them, if you let me look at your site-based council budget or the way you're using your flexible focus funds or whatever, it tells me a lot about what, you, what you're trying to move in your school or in your organization. So is that something that, that you agree with? And when you take a look at an administrator's budget, what are some things that you look for in terms of their priorities or seeing that they're allocating resources toward their vision? Yeah, anytime I think uh, when you receive funding uh, through different funding revenues or different funding sources, what, the one thing you're looking at is how does that funding really support the ecosystem that you've established? So if uh, what your, your um, funding really should mirror your priorities educationally, operationally, so you got to think about those things. From a district, a district perspective, maybe you have a little bit wider range of things that you're thinking about, such as capital construction, such as the overall... Uh, ecosystem of your school district, but as a school principal, you're looking at those specific things that you're really trying to make flourish. And so you have some specific uh, funding mechanisms that you're looking at and how you allocate those is how you're really going to be able to support those initiatives that you want to push in your school system. For example, if you've got site-based funding money, so your site-based funding money, usually $100 based on attendance. And so you'll get, um, an allocation. At that point, it's kind of a blank slate mm -hmm. where your site base can go in and they can allocate those to really make sure that the initiatives that you want to provide in your school are being addressed financially. And so that's why so that's why it's a really a great thing to be able to have that kind of autonomy and that you can decide from a school perspective or a site based perspective what you want to support. Let me let me ask you, when you were chief finance officer, what are some things that you saw principals typically spend a lot of their money on. And if you could give principals that, that are listening to our podcast some advice, uh, what, are, what are some things that you advise them to prioritize? You know, a lot of times because uh, the funding that a principal would typically have access to really doesn't revolve around personnel. Personnel usually comes through the, uh, comes through the lens of a staffing formula. And you may have some discussion with personnel, but most of it is going to be um, things that really support your initiatives. And so the one piece of advice I'd give is this. Um, when you receive your money through the year, really that, that year's money is meant to be spent on those children. Mm -hmm. So the earlier you can spend that and get, the, get that funding and get those resources into the classroom, the better. And so many times you'll see 
spending at the end of a year, uh, maybe to get ready for the next year. And really that's kind of backward from the uh, intended purpose of those monies. There's, they're really meant to be spent on those children during that year in order to uh, get your initiatives going. So really then to make that happen, if you're a principal, you need to probably start planning for next year's money, maybe February or March, yeah, something like that, where you're thinking ahead. Because I know what you're saying, the opposite, and I was guilty of it. I, I know I did it a couple times, and I you was get, as well as a principal. <laughs> you you get to the end of the year, and it's you know right. it's 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 May fifteenth, and you can't spend any money past June fifteenth or June first. Yeah. And so you start loading up copy paper and right. post-it notes and, you know, which I'm ashamed to even say that we do that sometimes, but we do. But it's usually because we probably haven't planned as efficiently right. as we needed to for what we need this following year so we don't get in that spot. Yeah, and I think the planning initiative is one of the things we talk about, returns on investment, because you do have the ability to make sure that you're maximizing your funding, but you also have the ability to make sure you're maximizing what your funding is being spent on. Yep. There's two different avenues there. Um, I absolutely, we want to make sure that we're not giving money back, that we're not wasting money, that we're not spending money frivolously or uh, without purpose. Yep. And so that's what a budget is. Um, it really gives, it really gives you purpose and a structure in which to spend your money. Good deal. And I know I, I almost got into one of your top five. I don't want to get into it yet. We're going to get into it in a second. So let me throw another one out there. <clears throat> another statement that I have shared with aspiring principals and new principals is that as an administrator, if you're ever going to, quote, get in trouble, whatever that means, legally or otherwise, if you're going to get in trouble, it's typically going to happen in one of two areas. One of those, I would say, is maybe special education because there's so much law and compliance and, you know, idea. And, and for good reason, by the way, right. all those are in place for the protection of students with disabilities. But you got to make sure that you're following those guidelines mm -hmm. and meeting those timelines so that you don't do something you shouldn't do or not do something you should do. But the other one I would say is finance. If you, if you don't handle things in a responsible, proactive way, you can really get in some serious trouble. As an, and I, I don't want to instill fear in anybody, but it is something to take seriously. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's, I think that's critical. And uh, we'll kind of harken back to the days of when we first became administrators, when I first became a principal. The one thing that I kind of thought is that, you know, I've gone through principal preparation, therefore I should know what to do as a principal. I should know what to do not only academically, but I should know what to do financially, operationally. I should know all these things at that point. It's important to understand as a principal, as an administrator, that you do have resources that are not just financial. So you have, you have those folks within your organization that can really help you understand and navigate uh, any kind of financial pitfalls or any kind of pitfalls that you may have even academically. Yep. Um, I always recommend that if, when in doubt, make sure that you get solid advice. And that's why you have a financial officer. That's why you have um, chief academic officers. And so you're not there on the island. It feels sometimes like you're on the island alone as a principal, but that's really not the case because you do have those resources. And so, yes, finance is one of the ways that you can... Um, that you can get in trouble as an administrator. We all know that. Uh, but I think the important part is, is how do you navigate that? How do you understand what the rules and regulations are? And we'll talk a little bit about that in the ROI.
ROI. But at the same time, be aware of what your resources are. Be aware that, you know, your principal, as a principal, you have a superintendent that's a resource as well as a financial officer. Those folks are there for support. And those support, um, those support avenues, you really should make sure that you're availing yourself of those. Yeah, I think that's good. And it, it makes me think about a rule we've talked about before. And I, to me, it's one that I try to live by, but I, I didn't early in my career, but I, I did as my career went on. And that is slow down. Most of the time, it's really not an emergency. Right. As, as an administrator, you don't have to have all the answers to every single thing. You don't have to be an expert in curriculum instruction and special education and behavior and school finance. Like you don't have to be an expert in everything. You, you just have to know enough that to, un, to realize when something doesn't sound right. Correct. Like when you see something, you're like, I'm not sure that's exactly right. You've got to have that little red flag that goes up in your mind. And then from that point, recognize that even though you feel like your back's against the wall, usually there's time for you to slow down and investigate, call somebody who's your resource at central office or reach out to a professional organization, whoever it is, most of the time, even though you feel like you're under the gun, you can slow down and, and get the information that you need to get in order to make the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's just important to understand that, like you said, that not everything is an emergency. Like things, you do need some time to digest the information that you've just received to be able to give the best answer possible. And so um, jumping to quick conclusions or quick uh, uh, avenues of of, uh, regress or however you want to put that to where you make decisions too hastily, sometimes that can be be its own worst enemy. Yep. I, I think in working with principals, that's one of the mistakes that I see principals make sometimes is they just stay in a hurry. Uh, and the, the job kind of makes you feel like you are in a hurry because you're making a hundred decisions or a thousand decisions. It feels like a day. Yes. And so you kind of get in that routine. I've just got to bang, bang, bang. I've just got to make decisions all day. But when it comes to these big ones that could have legal implications, right. uh, just teaching yourself to uh, press the pause button right. uh, is important. So, so what we're really saying on finance um, is that handling your finances well, uh, ne- you need to take a really proactive approach to that. Right. I mean, it's really proactive and it's reactive. You just want it to be way more proactive than reactive. Right. Uh, you want to put the planning in place so that you're not doing the reactive stuff on the back end. Uh, spending on just whatever you can spend, you you know, spend it before you lose it. Right. And then also, so you're not doing reactive things, finding out that you're not keeping your records well or you're not, you don't have a good process, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing you want to look at is that your finances and your academics aren't disjointed. Uh, for example, whatever you have in your CSIP or whatever you have in your school uh, consolidated improvement plan. Yep. You should be able to support those with the finances that you've been allocated. Um, you know that, therefore, you don't want them to be disjointed. You don't want your your funding resources going to initiatives that you're really not. And we talk about that's part of the planning process. Mm-hmm. Uh, budget budgetarily, that's what you're doing. You're planning for the year, just as you are 
for academics, you're doing that on the financial side as well. So what are we gonna do financially to be able to support our academic initiatives or to be able to support the operational needs of our school? Um, what are we doing to really support those? And that's what the budget really is. Yeah, it's good. Well, so that kind of gets us to this, uh, to this idea of a top five. You know, as a, as a principal, and we're talking a lot to principals now, but we're also talking to superintendents and district administrators, and maybe at the end here we'll be able to do, I know we've got a separate top five we might be able to hit at the end, but just speaking to principals first, um, these are kind of the top five, you know, if you could have every principal in Kentucky in the room together, these are, if you said do these five, if you don't do anything else, do these five things. Right. And uh, they're the best bang for your buck, can't miss strategies. Uh, or structures or approaches that you would have them put into place. So, so let's jump in on uh, number one. What's number one on the list? Yeah, number one. I think, and I think we're going to have some common ground in between what your district initiatives are and what school initiatives are. So right now we're going to look at school initiatives. And so, really, the most important thing for you to know at that point is just it, I call it the awareness factor. And so you're looking at what are my resources, what exactly do I have as far as funding, and being aware of those and knowing exactly what they are what their implications are, what their timelines are, are critical to making sure, one, that you're not um, going beyond a grant period if you have that and not being able to really spend that money or spending it inappropriately or even frivolously, not through necessarily um, uh, malintent, but maybe just a lack of preparation. And so the first, the first section I'd like to talk about is school activity. School activity is basically funds uh, raised by your students. So it's really important that you're making sure when you're approving, basically you're, you're approving fundraisers and you're approving ways in which students can generate money for their clubs or their organizations. And so you want to make sure that whatever they're doing to raise that money, that money is being spent on those p particular kids, on those particular activities. Um, we always talk about, you know, in school activity, it's not a bank, it's actually fundraising to support that activity at that year. So you wanna make sure that you're spending that money um, on, those, on those activities. And so school activity has its own set, and we'll talk about that. That'll get in my number two ROI, as far as understanding the difference between school activity and what we call district funds. So that, those are gonna be uh, delineated here, here shortly. But really, the important part about school activity is understanding, one, what is its purpose? It's, it's purpose for student enrichment. Um, there's an anomaly account. You may have a staff account, things like that, that really don't play in the holistic approach of school activity. School activity funds, the basis of them is to be able to um, support student activities. Uh, a few years ago, they came up with a, a district activity fund, so it made it efficient to collect money at a school level, but then send it to a district level. And we'll talk about that in, a, in just a minute. Those are called district activity funds. Um, the second thing I'd like you to be aware of, and I think this is a great bang for your buck, is uh, your site-based allocation. Whenever you get a site-based allocation, you're basically making sure that you're spending it on the initiatives that, like we just talked about. So your site base is coming up with the budget, you're getting the budget approved in site base, and basically that's your roadmap for how you're gonna spend money that year. Uh, one of the things I would say be aware of, be aware if your board has approved that you can carry that money over. If you're at the end of a year, you wanna make sure that um, if you have the ability to carry it over, there may not be the spending rush that you would have if, it, if, if that's not the case. And so it's important to know that. It's important to know whether you have carryover. You may have carryover to December 31st. 
You may have carryover to the end of the next year, but it's important to know that so that you can uh, really measure your spending and understand exactly what you what you want to do with that funding. Uh, the next the next thing you should be aware of is district activity funds. But before we uh, hit district activity funds, let's circle back and talk a little bit about uh, site-based funds. Yeah, so I wanted to ask a couple different things. Well, I wanted to make a point, and then I want to ask a couple things. So the first thing is, I can remember when I first became a principal, um, like we've talked about two different pots of money here, and we're getting ready to talk about a third one, right? Yeah. I can remember what a shock it was to me when I got the principal's job, even though I took school finance classes in college, somehow... I walked in as a principal and did not realize all the different sources of money that I had. I, did, I guess I just thought I had one budget. You know, here you go. Here's what it is. And <clears throat> excuse me, for me, that was the site-based council budget. I knew I was going to get that. But walking in, I had some school improvement money that I had access to. I had school activity money that I had access to. I know we're probably going to talk about flexible focus funds. I'm going to have, I had those. I had I had different pots of money that could be different spent on different things. But to your point, you got to know, you know, some of those pots of money can be spent on some things, but not others. Uh, some of them have different approval processes. Some of them have different timelines. So I was really glad that you, <clears throat> excuse me, started with a couple of different ones. Now, now school activity funds, like you said, that is money. That's like school-based money. That doesn't really come from anywhere. It's generated at the school level. Um, I like what you said about, you know, remembering as a school, we're not a bank. So we're not just trying to generate money for in perpetuity just so we have a cushion. When we're using school activity funding, we're generating it by the kids and their parents and other stakeholders but we're doing it. It's really important that we're doing it for a specific purpose. We're we're raising money for a field trip, or we're raising money to uh, buy something for the school. And so you have to state that up front. Like here's here's what we're generating the money for, and then you have to spend it on that, and you need to spend it on this year's kids. Yeah, and they and they have completely different rules, and the rules are there for a reason. We won't have time to go through all the rules. No, no. And what those and what those might mean for you, um, but like uh, school activity is is governed by rules that are uh, from Red Book. Red Book are a set of laws um, passed, and they're specific to uh, student activity funds. Yep. And then you've got other uh, processes for your district funds that are basically promulgated by statute and policy. Yep. And so it's important to know the difference because those two have very, very different rules as far as spending. Yeah, it's the school, uh, and I, I know I'm sticking on school activity, but to me it's the one that maybe I wasn't as prepared for. It's different because it's in-house. It's going to come in from the school level and it's going to go back out at the school level. And so if we have an audit or whatever, those things happen at the school level uh, on that money. So we fully... Myself, my bookkeeper, others in the school, we fully control that funding. And it's more of an awareness thing, but you know, you have the rules that are in place for specific reasons. One of those reasons, among many, are that that's where the cash is. Right. And so you really don't have cash at a district level for the most part. You yeah. may have some, but most of the cash is, is held at the school level and school activity. They're, 
uh, taken up by teachers. They're taken up, you know, through even mail. Sometimes you'll get it in mail. You'll get checks, cash, things like that. And so those rules are in place. Uh, and they're very much to streamline that process and to make sure there's not waste and abuse. Yep. All right, so let me mention site-based counsel because that's the second pot of money. Of course, we do have some listeners from outside Kentucky. So if you're listening from outside Kentucky, Kentucky has a structure called site-based councils and that your council has some say over what has a lot of say over your budget. Now, the council includes the principal, but also two parents and three teachers. And that little uh, collaborative group makes a lot of big decisions for the school. So that site-based council money, as David said, usually about $100 a student. And that's the money, if you're handling it responsibly, you'll do some operational things to help the school function. But then you also want to use that money to prioritize the things you're trying to do for students. Uh, Academics, programs, or curriculum that you might buy. Um, You know, if you've got a particular initiative you're trying to make happen, you want to. You really want to be able to view uh, the direction of the school, maybe through that site-based council budget. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about in the next uh, few budgets that we'll look at. Uh, that they're really governed by educational purpose and statute. Yep. Uh, we want to differentiate that from Red Book and student activity uh, because they do have wholly different uh, purposes and wholly different rules. Yep. And so, uh, student activity uh, again governed by Red Book. Uh, money generated by students, by parents, for uh, support of specific activities. Um, site base again, that falls under educational purpose so that you can uh, spend that money on operational things that may happen in school, curricular um, events that happen in the school. So it's really important that you're doing a, a solid planning process to make sure that you're allocating those funds as efficiently as possible. Let's jump into the next one. Okay, district activity funds. Um, a few years ago, uh, the legislature uh, enacted uh, rules within Red Book that allowed for dis- district activity funds. District activity funds are basically fees, but th- they're what's called for operational purpose. And really, it was to get um, the operational part out of student activity because student activity is not meant for operational expenses. I'm going to give you an example of an operational expense. An operational expense is electricity within your schools putting on an addition or putting on a roof or things that are taxpayer funded, generated um, in your, what's called a general fund uh, for those purposes. Student activity funds are really meant for, uh, for example, if I wanna raise money for beta club to go to beta convention, it's for those extracurricular events and activities and are meant to be spent on those particular events and activities in the year in which they're generated. But district activity funds allows for fees to be collected at the school level and then what's called swept, swept to the district level. Now, once they're at the district level, they take on the rules and regulations, uh, not of Red Book, but of um, uh, statute and policy and procedure. At that point, you follow your policies and procedures and schools can't expend that money, but they have more latitude on what they can expend it because the monies were generated for operational expenses, such as a locker fee. Mm-hmm. or textbook fee, okay. or uh, computer fees, yep. things like that. They're meant for operational uh, expenditures. Therefore, when you sweep them to the district, you can spend them on operational expenditures. And that, So that's why when we talk about if you're not sure, go to those people that may be resources for you. Is this operational? Is this not? And you know that when you begin your career, not only are you doing a thousand things, maybe 
it, it's not quite as clear as it needs to be. So use your resources, but operational expenses are meant to be at the district level. And so district activity funds were created for that purpose. And it's important that you make sure that you are sweeping those funds that can and shall be swept over to district activity so you can make the most of those funds. So uh, I'm thinking about what you said about uh, school activity and district activity, and I'm thinking back when I was a principal. Uh, so if I'm a principal and I'm trying to differentiate between school activity and district activity, you mentioned that district activity might be school fees or locker fees or textbook fees, and it seems like a lot of times those are approved by the board. So is that the way that I differentiate? If it's a district activity fee, is it something approved by the board, or can it be other things? Well, I think I think uh, that's a very good point because all fees are approved by the board, but not all fees have to be swept. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example. Uh, fees that are set out specifically for operational expenses, such as a locker fee or a computer fee, uh, those have to be swept to the district level because they are not student-generated nor are they for a uh, student-generated purpose. Okay. They're for operational, so they have to go over to the, because uh, you're supposed to institute fees that are for the specific purpose. So if I've got a textbook fee, for example, and I know I'm going to buy textbooks with that, well, textbooks are not allowed in um, student activity because they're curricular, they're part of the instructional day, and they're considered operational. And so that money has to be swept to the district uh, for, for that purpose. If you have something like picture fees, like if you have pictures and you uh, obtain revenue from taking school pictures, that can be swept, but it can also be kept at the, uh, at the district level. Now, those differences are really outlined in Red Book. It says, like, these are things that shall be swept, and these are uh, specific revenue streams that can be swept. So the ones that can be swept, you have that option. But understanding that if you don't sweep it, then it's subject to all the rules and regulations of Red Book instead of your district policies and procedures. Makes sense. Let's go to the next one. Okay. Um, we talked about a little bit about district activity. We talked about site-based. So those are funding sources that are on the uh, district side, right? And so the last one I want to talk about is really the flex focus money because sometimes that gets uh, kind of forgotten or put away because in past years we used to get flex focus money and the flex accounts you'll have uh, again, our ESS, PD, it used to be instructional resource, you have safe schools, and you also have care of preschool. Uh, but schools traditionally would get one of the three. They would get um, either ESS, PD, or IR money. In previous uh, um, iterations, then we've received ESS money. But it's important to understand what you can and can't do with ESS money and understanding what the timelines that are involved. Uh, ESS money can still be um, flexed. Uh, it can be flexed into PD. It can be flexed into uh, IR, instructional resources. Um, you know, that used to be the old textbook money, but now it's instructional resources with the advent of more technology. So it's important to understand when you can do that. So you can flex that money over and you can use it for professional development if you can't use it for ESS. But that's what we're talking about when we say that we're really trying to use our funding to support our initiatives. If one of your initiatives is ESS, you need to make sure that you're actually spending that money on those ESS services. And that's ongoing, that you have those uh, individuals hired, that the personnel is in place and providing those services. Um, if you've got different initiatives, you may be flexing it over to professional development, you may be flexing it to instructional resource. But it's important to know that what exactly what your initiatives are and make sure that you're doing that. 
And it's important to know the timeline. Um, you know, like, for example, you may think, okay, the end of the year's coming, I've got to spend all of this money. Flex, flex Focus runs through September 30th of the following year. So it runs about uh, 15 months. And so it's important to understand that you have all of that money not only obligated, but uh, best practice is to spend all that money prior to September 30th, whether you're going to be flexing it into uh, something other than ESS or not. But it's important to understand exactly what you can do with those monies and how it can be used. It's really good. I wish I had somebody go over this with, <laughs> with me <laughs> before I became a principal. So you've got all those different places, and there may, and you may have other pots of money, but for sure, you have those four. And uh, and and I love I love the concept of that. And if you're if you're listening from outside Kentucky, flex focus money. You know you have ESS, which is extended school services, PD, which is professional development, and then instructional resources, and then preschool and others. You can be flexible. If I have a priority this year that falls into one of those categories, I could put all of that money into that one priority to make that happen this year, or I could divide it evenly uh, or in different ratios based on what it is I'm trying to make happen. Right. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready to move on? We're ready to move on. All right. Okay. The The next one I wanted to talk about is absolutely knowing the difference between uh, Red Book and district funds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really critical that you use the Red Book as a guide um, for school activity and make sure that you're following your district policies and procedures for all your other funding. And I'll tell you where you may get a bang for your buck there. Um, whenever you're having fundraisers, making sure that all of that money allocated is going to those student groups. Too many times you'll see in a specific school, you'll see uh, what we call inactive funds or inactive accounts. And so that's money that has been sitting in a specific activity fund, not to be used. It just sits there for year after year. Maybe even the sponsor's gone and uh, you don't have that sponsor anymore and you don't know if you can move it. You're unsure. And so, again, reach out for resources if you're unsure about what to do with those funds. But those, those funds can be transferred at that point. Um, you know, you have a, a, an option for the principal to be able to transfer those funds into a diff, different activity fund. You may have even a, a student activity fund that's general within your student activity funds, but it have to, has to be a subject to Red Book. So you could move it over into, into that specific fund and be able to use it for the kids in that year and not just let it sit um, in, a, um, in a stale account. So I think that's really important to absolutely know what, where those accounts are so you can review those. And we talk a little bit about that in our Red Book trainings, making sure that you understand the funding mechanisms and how those, how those, how those interact in Red Book. Really uh, critical. I bet you might see that in a high school. You do. <clears throat> where you have a lot of different accounts for different clubs, yeah. different types of activities. And, and you know, we're, we might be raising money for a particular trip we might raise more money than we need. And so yeah. then now we've got $500 left in an account uh, that we think, well, we can't do anything with that. We, you know, we already went on our trip and there's that $500 left, but there are ways uh, for you to be able to move that around in order to be able to still utilize it. And absolutely. And you may have events beyond your control that uh, eliminate activities such as COVID. Um, you may have COVID happen. And uh, some of the things that you've raised money for, you're not able to do at that point. So you've got to focus. You got to really switch focus and really do something else at that point. And it's important to know the rules and regulations behind doing that. 
And so that's what we talk about when we say, you know, finance is a critical aspect of this because whenever you're coming in, if you're misappropriating student funding or you're misappropriating district funding and you have the, the ability to do that as a principal because you're the uh, authorized signer on those accounts. So it's really important to understand and really double check what you're signing uh, as a principal or administrator within those student and district activity accounts because that's what the signature means is that not only you've seen it, but you're now vetting it for appropriateness. Yeah, good. All right, what number are we on? We're on three. Number three. Number three is budgeting. All right. Budgeting is really the backbone of what we talked about earlier in the planning process. You want to make sure that you have a budget for your funding sources. That's where you're making sure, honestly, that you're if you do have carryover, where is that carryover going to be in site-based money? Where am I going to allocate that carryover? A lot of times we'll see carryover and we'll uh, have it over in and we'll say, okay, we'll put it in a contingency account in Sitebase and it'll sit there all year long. And so really you don't have a, you don't have a plan for that other than it's contingency. Well, in Sitebase, it's probably not going to roll over forever. And so you really need to have a plan to spend that money. That's when it becomes last second. What do I do with this money? And so really the best way to uh, approach that is to not have it as a contingency item, but actually have a roadmap of how you're going to spend that money in that year. And so that's one of the things I think where I think budgeting and really review of budgeting is so important that you can review your expenditures. You can see where you are as a percentage of revenue versus expenditures and say, okay, we're doing about, we're about 50%. We're at the halfway point of the year. Okay, that's good. But maybe we need to be at 65 or 70% because what are we gonna spend in May and June that's gonna really help that year's students? And you know, many districts have cutoff periods for when you can obligate or even make purchases. So it's why it's really important to outline a budgeting process that makes sense in your school and is aligned to your district initiatives. Yeah, I think that, you know, we talk a lot on advantage about being intentional and purposeful. We talk some about being proactive when you talk about budgeting, I mean, there's levels, right? There are levels to budgeting. You know, for one person, budgeting might be, hey, we're going to all get around the table and talk about all the things we want to do next year and kind of throw out a ballpark number. Well, that's going to cost about $2,000. And well, this is going to, I mean, that's kind of very loose budgeting. What you're talking about is very specific budgeting. Yes. where we know exactly what we're going to do. We know exactly when we're going to try to purchase that or use that funding, uh, how long it's going to take to implement it. Uh, what's the contingency? If we do have some money left over, what are we going to spend that on? And then you're checking it throughout the year. So it's not, you know, we said earlier, be great if you could start in around February or March for the next year's money. But then about September or October, you probably need to sit down and take stock of that again. Right. And then maybe about Christmas, you need to take stock of it again. And then maybe about spring break, you need to take stock of it again to see if it's all, uh, if everything's being spent uh, at the rate that it's supposed to and, and when it's supposed to, right? So that's that's another level of kind of being meticulous and purposeful about what you do. Yeah, and I think it's critical that you're proactive in that. And like what you just said is making sure that you're meticulous and seeing are we spending at the rate we need to be spending. For example, if you're not spending ESS at the rate in which you thought, let's say that you have an ESS teacher that no longer can do it, you lose one, that's why it's important to review that budgeting process and say, wow, we're really behind in spending of ESS funding. What are we gonna do? And what are we gonna do really needs, that needs the conversation needs to be in April and May 
and probably not September 15th before the grant runs out on September 30th. And then you can make adjustments and you can decide and you know, cause the last thing you want is to have not spent your uh, ESS money, have that money go back to the state of Kentucky when you had needs, yeah. whether that be ESS, IR, PD, that you could have addressed through that funding. Yep, great point. What's number four? Purchasing procedures. This is a, this is a big one for me. I think it's really important and it will really give a lot of clarity to your entire organization if everyone understands it's just a process. Because governmental purchasing, what I always like to say, is just not the same as household purchasing. Hmm. And sometimes we come into it thinking, okay, it's, you know, we're, uh, we do it a little bit backward. In, a, in our household, we make decisions to purchase, um, and then we'll buy something, and then we'll write the check for it. In governmental purchasing, the whole, the whole key is making sure that you have authority to purchase. And authority to purchase means that you have approved and we use purchase orders in the state of Kentucky. And so if you have a purchase order, that's the first step. The first step is to initiate really a requisition, a request for something. And at at that point, receive a purchase order. After you receive the purchase order, that gives you authority to purchase. And then after purchasing, you'll get an invoice and then you'll have a payment. And I always tell uh, individuals that it's very easy it's purchase order, invoice, payment. Anything outside of that order is not correct. Mm-hmm. So authority to purchase, invoice, payment. That's the, that's the key uh, process for governmental purchasing. Um, what that does is, one, that will, that will curtail excessive spending. If you don't have internal controls in place that limit um, unauthorized purchasing, you will spend more money. There's no doubt. And you'll have budgetary problems as a result of that. Uh, not, along with compliance problems, which is the number one um, red book issue is compliance. And that's uh, maybe not having POs in place, maybe having lack of internal controls. And those are the things, <coughs> excuse me, from a fiscal, ma- fiscal management point of view that have to be addressed in a school district. So it's really critical that you do that. Uh, communication should be really clear and concise. Your staff should understand, should have a really good understanding of what the purchasing protocols and procedures are. And, you know, that can be done through faculty meetings, uh, beginning of year meetings, but it's really, it's, it's an important part that they understand, you know, how do I obtain supplies for my classroom? Uh, I guess I just go out and buy these things and give you a receipt. That's not clear communication. The clear communications is, uh, we give, for example, we're gonna give out of a site base, uh, we're gonna give $100 per classroom. And so this is how you access that $100. You do a requisition, which is a request for purchasing to our bookkeeper. They will then issue a purchase order, and then you you have authority to purchase. You'll receive the invoice, and we'll pay it. And it really does become that simple because as new teachers, we sometimes forget that they don't understand governmental purchasing. We just think, well, we've been around here for a while. That has to be an every year thing. That has to be an every year educational process because not only we have those uh, individuals that are new to the process, you'll be you'll have uh, uh, personnel that are just aren't familiar with it or haven't used it uh, the way it needs to be used. So it's really important that you um, have those have those uh, processes in place. So the purchasing approvals are critical. We talk about a lot about um, the ability to purchase it as a governmental. So it's going to be really important that uh, as as you oversee all of your budgets, that you have those financial plans that you get to see exactly what's being purchased in your in your building. 
because that's really all you have control of is the discretionary spending because your personnel is really allocated to you through a, a, a staffing formula or maybe even Section 7. You know, you may have some uh, staffing through that uh, initiative as well. So making sure that you understand exactly um, what your, what your uh, expenditure are, expenditures are critical and making sure that you follow your budget. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, when you were talking about the approval process, so, you know, schools and districts have this set up all different ways, but yes. it's our podcast, so we can kind of say okay. the way we think it should be set up. So, so do you feel like it ought to be set up where the principal approves every purchase order, where they take a look and say, yes, this is an okay expenditure or not, or is that something that can be... Um, is that something that somebody else in the building can do? Right. I think I think the, uh, what you really want to make sure that you're doing, if you have like an ESS coordinator, then you could say this is the person in charge of ESS and we're going to specifically have them over, oversee the timesheets and they're the person. So you may have designee in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, as a site-based budget, again, you're going to want to be responsible. My my uh, personal opinion is I like for the principal, if, I, if I've got a site-based budget or student activity budget, I like to, I would like to sign those myself. Yep. Um, you know, they're not signing every um, PO in the district, but they are signing the POs that directly impact their school. Yeah. And so at the school level, at the school level, because in many schools, student activity doesn't go beyond the principal, that's where I think it's really important that the principal be the uh, uh, signer. And at the district level, you do have further signatures. You do have, like, if you have ESS, that may flow to your chief academic officer and then back to the finance officer and then to the superintendent, for example. So if that's the workflow, then you may have some more cover there. But I'm, a, I'm of the opinion that, um, you know, approvals within the school for purchasing should go through the principal. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I'm going to be that meticulous about putting my plan in place, I want to make sure that I can, you know, not micromanaging, right. but just making sure as we're purchasing things in classrooms or uh, wherever in the school, that it kind of fits in with that vision and uh, that purpose that we put that budget together for. Right. Absolutely. All right. Are we on number five? We're on number five. All right. What's number five? And so personnel allocation. And while you don't have a great deal of um, autonomy or even say in personnel allocation as far as the number of uh, teachers you might receive and the number of custodians you might receive in a school building, SiteBase does decide how those uh, positions are uh, allocated throughout the school at that point. Like you might have intervention, you might have classroom teachers. Those are decisions made by SiteBase. So anytime that you have those decisions, you may have some financial implications that come with that. For example, if you have larger classroom sizes, you may have certain things that you need to do, such as amplification. You may have... Uh, more desks in specific rooms. You may have things that uh, do arise from that. And it's also a consideration as a principal, you know, exactly what your ecosystem looks like at that point. Does that really fit what your uh, budgetary plan is and what your CSIP is to have higher class sizes versus uh, that model? So whenever you take that uh, decision to site base, I think that has implications beyond just where uh, teachers are going to go. I think they do have financial implications along with um, academic implications. Yeah, I do, I do too. And I mean, anytime, if we're talking about additional staff or staff doing particular things, 
Well, it's one thing for, to allocate for the amount of money that it's going to take to pay for that person, but that person also requires some funding as well that has to be budgeted for, right? That's right. That's right. And so anytime that you, you do put, a, uh, put in place whatever that may be, a, a personnel allocation, you know, there are things that are, uh, from a financial perspective, they're going to come into play. Um, another example might be in site-based, you, you can make curricular changes. So if you make a curricular changes, what are the financial implications of that as far as textbooks, as far as manipulatives, as far as lab equipment, things like that. So it's important to have kind of a holistic view of the academic field um, whenever, whenever you're making these decisions because they may have implications beyond just um, what you're going to do in a classroom. Yeah, I love these top five things because, I mean, to me, the two common threads are, number one, know what you have. Know where the different pots of money are. Make sure you know what the timelines are and what the purposes are. But then just be proactive. Don't don't wait. Uh, you know, know what you need to know about. Will money roll over to the next year? Uh, and then be purposeful about what are we trying to do in the school? What requires some funding? And how can we be really meticulous about making sure that that'll happen? If you can put plans in place like that, you don't have to worry at all about the reactive stuff. That's right. You're not going to be um, panic spending at the end of the year. Uh, you're going to have controls in place so that you're going to know that things are going the way they're supposed to be. Right. And you would think that a lot of times whenever you do put these things in place, that it's going to be kind of subjective and that you're going to see you know, how things are going. You're going to see maybe a quantitative uh, analysis of it during your site-based meeting where you're going over your budget and expenses. But there are other ways to monitor that as well. So I think that's really, I think that's really critical. Um, really, as principal, you should be uh, reviewing the bank statement before anybody sees it. And a lot of principals, and even when I first became a principal, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm looking at it. I don't know what I could change there. Well, you can't change a lot at that point, but what you can do is a great monitoring tool. One, um, do we have all of our dual signatures? All these things that are required in Redbook and are required for compliance, you get to see, are we depositing timely? Are we depositing, do I see one deposit in the month of November? If, if so, then are we uh, breaking Redbook and uh, not depositing in a timely manner. Um, you know, so you get to evaluate that. If you see vendors in there that you don't recognize, you're gonna have source documentation for every transaction, both at the school and the district level. You can say, can I see the source documentation on that? And you can go back and you can really uh, forensically look at that and see exactly what we spent on this particular uh, expenditure and we can see uh, exactly what we got, who the vendor is and all of that information. So you're gonna have source documentation on everything. So the monitoring of expenditures, the monitoring of deposits, you can do a great deal of that just by monitoring your bank statement and making sure that you're aware of what's happening at the student activity level. Because we've got that at the district activity level and, and the site-based level because your finance officer is gonna be reconciling those bank statements all together as well and making sure that all the expenditures are okay. Yep. So I know we've got, we do have a top five return on investment for district finance as well. Yeah. We're kind of up at the, uh, we're kind of coming up against the end of our time together. So we're going to talk about putting that together in a different episode. But before we wrap up today, anything else that we haven't covered, if you had a print, if you had a bunch of principals in the room right now, 
Or even, you know, I think this is good for district administrators to hear as well, because if we're at the district, we're working with schools. So anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to mention? I think the one thing that you'll see different in finance, maybe, uh, than you'll see in, in other areas where you see success is it's no different in academics. It's no different in anything else. Consistency is the key. Yeah. If you're only reviewing a bank statement once a year, you're probably not going to pick up on a lot. You might hit gold. You might not. Um, if you're reviewing uh, your bank statement consistently, if you're reviewing your budgets consistently, if you look at your ESS budget in October, that doesn't really tell you a lot about what's happening in March. Right. Um, you really need to know through the course of the year, what is going on. So uh, I, I think the 20,000 foot view in finance doesn't really work very well. I think you've got to be more intentional than that. I think it's going to be just like you're doing a, a walkthrough for academics. You need to do a walkthrough on your finances to see exactly where you are. Um, have budgeting meetings, be meeting with your bookkeeper, find out exactly where you are as far as budget, find out exactly where you are, you know, how, how much ESS money do we have left? What is that? Can you give me a reminder? When does that grant period end? When do we have to have this spent by? We don't have as much ESS, ESS spent. Is there a plan for that? So I think all of those things, and then look for anomalies, things that don't make sense for you. If you see things that don't make sense, usually they don't. And so look for those anomalies and then always remember your resources. So when you do have questions, just because you find something, don't think it's gonna be up to you completely to figure that out. If you have questions, go to your finance officer, go to your uh, chief academic officer that's in that venue, or you know, or even go to your superintendent. And we always talk about, you know, even at the highest uh, level of decision making, um, you know, we always don't make those decisions alone. We'll go to our board attorney yep. and we'll get legal opinions and things like that. So principals shouldn't take the bulk of responsibility of knowing everything at all times. They should always use the resources. And that's probably the one thing uh, because you're not going to know absolutely everything, especially as you when you come in as a new principal. And so it's going to be really critical that you're using all your resources. Yeah, I think that's, that is another key takeaway. Don't, you know, as principal, you can't be the expert on everything. Don't take it all on your shoulders. Know that you've got other people to help you. You just have to know when something uh, needs to be checked into. Yeah. Uh, same way with legal stuff. You can't memorize every law uh, that there is. But you do need to know enough to go, hmm, I don't know if that's some of we're doing right. that the right way. And then that way you can check into it. Absolutely. David, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy being here. Well, so uh, that is going to do it for today. Uh, thanks again for David Morris for joining us. And thank you for listening. And uh, we will see you soon with another episode. Take care. <laughs>